Greetings. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host. And our special guest today is the United Kingdom's Mary Biles. Mary is author of the CBD book, The Essential Guide to CBD Oil. She's a regular contributing editor for the educational nonprofit project CBD in California. And Mary hosts the Cannabis Voices podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. Mary is respected within the CBD industry for her ability to create engaging content that explains in digestible terms the science behind cannabis and CBD in a way that consumers can easily understand and relate to. Mary is also the chief editor of the Cannabis Patient Advocacy and Support Services, also known as CPAS, whose current projects include a multidisciplinary team series focusing on the application of cannabis medicines in chronic pain, mental health, palliative care, oncology, neurological disorders, and women's health. So from the Isle of Wight in the United Kingdom, Mary, how are you? <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. I love, I love being called the United Kingdom's Mary Biles. I feel I'm like more the, the world's Mary Biles, the universe's we, Mary we, Biles. When we do part two, that's how I'll do it. I, I can certainly <laughs> do it that way, not a problem. That's cool. I'm a citizen of the world. No, they're not a criticism, but it's because um, I, I was living... To be honest, until two years ago, I was living for 10 years in Spain. So I'm, I'm sort of, I am British and I, and I suppose I, you know, I, I very much sort of um, across what's happening in the UK, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a kind of, you know, it's a global discussion and uh, you, I'm very much, we've been through Brexit recently, the kind of leaving the EU and I'm, I still have this kind of strange feeling of, uh, you know, I am European and uh, very much passionate about being part of Europe as well. Right on. So you speak, you, you're, you're a Brit who likes palm trees then. You like Spain. Yeah, actually, fact, I have, a, I have a palm tree in my garden as well. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I love Spain. I absolutely love Spain. It's a, sort of been, been a big part of my life. All right. I'm not fluent. So I'm sorry, Meyer. But I'm, I'm sorry again. Like, I know. Oh. It's, it's horrible. And it's, 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 I've got it. Vergüenza. Por Dios. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh my goodness, that's good. Nice, Mary. Nice. I figured after ten years, you're you're, you're fluent. I I imagine you're fluent. Is that it? Yeah, I'm, I'm fluent in in, in uh, Andalus Spanish. So um, I was living in Seville in the south of Spain, where it's it's quite a sort of it's not a dialect as such, but it has a, a quite a distinct accent, <laughs> which I kind of have now. So cool. That's very cool. I did not know that. Well, Mary, the CBD book, The Essential Guide to CBD Oil, it's a yeah. really good book. Oh, and thanks. I'm thanking <laughs> for your time here because I really want to talk to you about CBD oil, what it is and how it works in the human body. Yeah. yeah. Well, first, um, to kind of start off, you know, straight away, I, I sometimes feel that calling it CBD oil isn't perhaps the best title of what patients have been taking well in the US since you know kind of around 2014 but in the UK and Europe it's been a bit sort of later since let's say 2016 um, because well certainly in Europe we have different kind of legalization or regulation of, of, of cannabis and hemp but what people have been taking is is really hemp extracts so um, yeah. it's a, you know a full spectrum uh, cannabis oil, I mean, hemp and cannabis are essentially the same plants. It's um, cannabis sativa, but hemp has the, the, you know, the trace levels of THC, which is why, you know, it's kind of legal in, in Europe. We don't have legal access to 
you know, the, the, the kind of above 0.3% THC. Um, so, um, so people that, you know, from the kind of the, the early days back in 2016, what we had was a full spectrum hemp extract. So, um, you know, you had your CBD, you might have had your CBDA, which is the acidic precursor of CBD. So with the interesting thing with CBD, if you went and, you know, kind of examine some, some um, cannabis or hemp growing in the fields, you're not going to find any CBD or THC for that matter. You'll find what is the acidic precursor. So in this case, it's CBDA, which has to be put through heat in turn, in, you know, in order to, to become CBD. But as well as that, you know, you'd have minor cannabinoids, you'd have terpenes, you have flavonoids and I don't know, other, you know, natural occur, naturally occurring molecules found in, in hemp and cannabis. And, you know, that would make this kind of like dark colored uh, hemp extract, um, you know, which might be mixed with some kind of carrier oil or something like that. So, um, so this is what people were taking and, 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 and what the kind of the word of mouth movement was created around. Um, CBD was the most, or is, you know, was the most abundant cannabinoid um, in, these, in these extracts and oils. Um, and it's perhaps, you know, the one that's had the interesting research um, for conditions such as epilepsy. And we know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it has some interesting anti-tumoral effects. Um, but what people were taking was this kind of, you know, this mixture, magical mixture, you might say, of all these, you know, compounds working in synergy together, basically. If we kind of translate that to the to the US market, depending on what state you were in, um, you might have access to um, uh, CBD products that are hemp derived. Obviously, since the farm bill, that's something that's, you know, there's loads of, you know, kind of um, US grown hemp um, um, CBD products. But also, obviously, you're in a, if you're in a state, I think probably in, in Florida, you yeah. can probably pop down to your dispensary um, or, you know, in other states in the US and have a CBD abundant extract or oil or flour, what have you. And so you'll have slightly higher levels of THC, but still you've got all the other compounds working in concert, basically. Um, I say this because uh, it's a kind of bit of a bugbear of mine because CBD, I love CBD, but, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not the only important um, compound um, that we should be talking about and actually, you know, what, what's um, something that's kind of happened in the UK and in Europe, and I think probably is happening in the US, is that um, there's more and more CBD isolate products that, you know, are on the market. Um, so a, a CBD isolate product will, will be kind of purified CBD um, that's probably mixed with a, with a carrier oil or something, but it doesn't have all the other um, compounds, you know, alongside it. And obviously, you know, kind of we're used as consumers, what be it, you know, in terms of medicine or even, you know, health supplements of like the purer, the better, <laughs> the stronger, the better. Um, and from the research that I've done and from the mostly anecdotal evidence, it doesn't work like that with cannabis and CBD products, actually, because when I'm, when I'm talking about this, you know, this synergy with, with all the molecules, I'm talking about what's called the entourage effect, which I'm sure- That's you know, exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, the yeah, entourage so, effect. Yeah, so the, the entourage effect actually was originally, the term was coined, but it was actually, um, first of all, I think it was um, Raphael Machulam's um, team 
um, who were looking at the endocannabinoid system. So there are the kind of the two main endocannabinoids. So you've got your anandamide and 2-AG. And then there are other um, less uh, well-known or kind of like the, the minor endocannabinoids or um, there might even be um, uh, sort of the metabolites of, of these endocannabinoids, which seem inactive on their own. But when they're working with the main endocannabinoids, it seems to kind of strengthen or um, uh, yeah, strengthen their or potentiate their effect. So it was Ethan Russo who then translated that idea of the entourage effect, which was first applied to the endocannabinoid system. And he started applying it to, to cannabis, basically, because, you know, you've got your endocannabinoids, which are the you know, cannabis like chemicals in your body. And then you've got the phytocannabinoids, which are the sort of uh, similar acting, but not structurally similar um, chemicals in, in the cannabis plant. Um, so, um, so sorry to kind of you know, kick off with saying, oh, you know, that was not good. That was GDP, good. but for me, it really isn't. And, and, and I kind of find it, I know I find it upsetting because in the UK, which we can go into in a bit, you know, there's um, kind of regula regulatory forces at work that have meant that it's now impossible, it will be soon impossible to legally sell what people have been taking and getting great effects from, which are the hemp extracts abundant in CBD. And eventually the only thing that will probably be available is um, CBD isolate products or even synthetic CBD products. And that's it. What, and everything you, else will have to go to the black market. What are your thoughts on why the step backwards? I don't, I don't understand. It seems well, like backwards. Yeah, I mean, um, in the UK, well, I, 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 I think it's really because um, uh, in our kind of 21st century, or not even just the 21st century, as, as modern day human beings we like to classify things and regulate things basically you know right. we, that's just how we operate you know so there's food law there's you know there's a different um you know we have the um the medical health care regulatory agency in the uk which is like your kind of fda and then we have the food standards agency which is kind of does the food part of what your fda does okay. basically um, and with CBD, calling that, calling it that again, um, because in the UK it's not a drug, it's not a narcotic, it is therefore classified as a food, basically, just just by default. So therefore, it's regulated by the RFSA, which is a food standards agency, and so it has to kind of be regulated in the way that food is regulated. So for a start you can't have a food that contains trace amounts of a narcotic, i.e. THC. So, um, so instantly, anything that's containing trace, trace amounts of, of THC cannot be sold as a food. Um, then uh, above that, in Europe, this actually was a European directive, first of all, um, that we have what's called a novel foods catalogue. Um, and a novel food is a food that wasn't commonly eaten before 1997 basically. Uh, how, how did 97, yeah. do you know why 97 was picked? Because that's... Yeah. I don't know, actually. Yeah, kind of <laughs> it's very kind of, yeah, very random, isn't it? Um, 1990, well, anyway. it been intentional by, for somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure there is a reason. I, I should I should look it up. But um, so, you know, normally it could be things like 
I don't know, new flavorings or I think like chia seeds might at one point been a, a, a considered a novel food. So they get added to this novel food catalog. And okay. once it's added to the novel food catalog, in order for it to be sold, you have to get a novel food authorization, which proves its safety, basically, and stability overall. Okay. Do farmer markets have to go through this type of free? Well, they would have to do something, but farmer's not food, right? Okay, farmers, okay. Like, farm, I, I mean, far, you mean farmer markets? Like, yeah, as in, yeah. I don't yeah. know, as in big farmers. Yeah, you know, farmer markets, Saturday, Saturday morning farmer markets, you guys got those, you guys got those, right? Yeah, we've got farmer's markets, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I mean that, it's, it's such a rare... Like, you know, it's... So, so what's happened with, with all this is that um, CBD companies have been told in, in, this is in, in the UK that from, it was sort of, you know, I think it was April this year, in order to continue selling um, their CBD products, uh, they have to you have this authorization, which in order to get that, you have to have done, proven its safety through basically doing animal studies um, and present a dossier that can cost hundreds of thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds, let's say. Um, and if you don't get, if it's not authorized, first step is validation, then it's authorization. If it's not authorized, those products can no longer be sold. Okay, so then there's certain issues that arise. So for example, I mentioned CBDA before. Yeah. So CBDA is, known as being it's because it's basically um it then through heat and age turns into cbd it's not stable basically mm -hmm. that's why it's it's quite hard to actually do scientific research with cbda they end up using kind of synthetic synthetic equivalent so one of the kind of tests for being a safe novel food is it has to be stable so instantly then we know that any products containing CBDA are not going to pass their novel foods authorization. And really, you know, it's quite, as you probably know, it's quite hard to kind of standardize hemp and cannabis as a plant, making sure it's always the same is quite difficult. It's hard to do that with so, an apple. It's hard to do that with an apple or an orange yeah. too. <laughs> so Unless basically what, what, what this means, Miguel, is that um, so far the only, um, I'm pretty much the only CBD products that have been, I've got this novel foods authorization are for synthetic CBD. Synthetic CBD, wow. Synthetic CBD and that's it. So um, maybe at some point, you know, kind of maybe some, you know, plant-based isolate products might make it through. Probably they will do at some point, but a whole plant extract as we know, have known it to be and, and, you know, these patients have got amazing results with, that will, there's, there is no way that's going to make it through this authorization process. So therefore then either patients will have to, there'll be a kind of black market that springs up, um, I guess, or a kind of gray market. Um, some companies are now calling their products topicals or something, you know, because they're all cosmetics. Yes. So they're hoping to get around it. But so, I mean, that's kind of probably maybe a bit boring and, and uh, too nitty gritty for your listeners. But it just, for me, it just kind of shows where, you know, humans meddle too much in something that's much bigger and greater than we are really and and by doing that then we kind of we limit things we limit the potential of this plant to actually help ourselves and help humanity help the planet you know so um yeah i definitely understand i definitely understand the uh a governance need to have some type of standard and regulation but mm. but the bureaucracy that comes with it 
obviously is paralyzing because if the standards are so high, I mean, that's a lot of approval. Not even that they're high, it's like they're misplaced. And I mean, I, yeah, I, don't, I mean high like lofty. I didn't mean lofty like that. Rigorous, yeah. rigorous standards. Like if you're right. even getting near this thing, you are going to, they're, they're letting you know that if you're going to get near this testing stuff or any of that stuff, it's a huge barricade. And at least they're letting you know what you're getting into. Yeah. It is definitely a big stop sign, right? It's basically what, I mean, what, what's interesting, Miguel, is that, um, so when, I'm sure it was the same in, you know, in the US, when this, this whole movement started, you had uh, a lot of the kind of early companies were certainly, you know, in the UK and Europe, the people who'd had some kind of like amazing personal experience, you know, with, with CBD and cannabis. And, and they felt so impassioned about trying to help other people that they, you know, they started up their own kind of little mom and pop type, you know, operation. Um, you know, they, they, okay, you know, hopefully they weren't kind of mixing up in their bathtub, but, you know, they were kind of importing or, you know, getting decent product uh, that, you know, they're great customer service. They're really knowledgeable about the plants and all that kind of stuff and very passionate. So when the kind of the green rush started as it has, you know, kind of globally um, and big investors were like, oh, we need to get in on this act. So, you know, in the UK, we've had sort of venture capitalist backed um, companies that have been launched and, you know, they are the ones who are just going to opt for the low hanging fruit, some of the, the most, you know, the, the least risky for, for investors, which is synthetic yeah. CBD, and they don't care about the plant. I, I don't think they care about, you know, the, consus- the customers or the patients either, you know, it's just like, let's just make some money off this thing, you know, so, um, and that makes my heart a little bit sad, really, because that's not, you know, that's not what I got into this. I'm sure that's not what you, what you got into. It, it's it's it is. I, mean, I I agree that there's there's definitely you know there's there you, you said it perfectly I think you said there's a personal experience to it and I think uh, that personal experience you know it's, it's gonna be personal for me I do and this was this was uh, when I because I have a medical card here in the state of Florida so I you you were right on I did do that I went to the the, the process and went to the dispensary. And they're very like every. It's very very common knowledge that the bud or the flower flower bud, whatever you want to call it, is uh, is the entourage. You're going to get most entourage effects straight from the plant, and from trial with vape pens and edibles and the plant and the bud. Yeah, that that's that's accurate. I mean, I can tell a difference. They're all decent. Nothing's wrong with them at all. But the entourage effect is something noticeable, and it's just it. It, it really kind of blows my mind that the UK is actually taking a step back and they'll say, we'll do synthetic instead of real. It's, it's, it does blow my mind. And, and the investment- Can I say back- another crazy thing, Miguel? So yeah, this sure. is, we have, um, <laughs> this is like the most laughable, surreal thing of all really. So, um, you know, there is a very small um, hemp industry in terms of you know, hemp farmers growing hemp here. Um, uh, compared to the rest of Europe, actually. And, and a big reason about that is um, uh, it's not regulated by whatever would be the equivalent of, you know, the Department of Government that, that um, regulates agriculture. Instead, it's, 
it's it's regulated by our home office which is more about kind of you know can be regulating crime and all this kind of stuff um and not only that so farmers have to get a license from the home office but then and this is the kind of, this is the crazy part they're not allowed to use they have to destroy the buds and the flowers basically because i think it's something to do with our 1971 misuse of drugs act or something like that it's an outdated law so you've got basically all these CBD companies in the, in the UK, of which there are hundreds, if not thousands, they're all importing their products, their white label, wholesale, whatever. They're all importing them from Europe. <laughs> so, you know, you've got these poor hemp farmers here in the UK who can't even, you know, they can, yeah, they can, they can use and sell the, the stalks and the seeds. They can't even, yeah, they have to destroy the leaves as well. Can. can they can they destroy them by way of can they make tea can they make some tea <laughs> destroy them by way of combustion yeah tea you know let's just pulp and turn it into pulp make tea out of it yeah. <laughs> just an idea i'm just trying to come up with an idea there yeah um, yeah do like tea. Mm. so um now your book yeah is really good oh thank you and you're very welcome and uh I know we talked about, I know you talked about the, uh, the entourage effect, Yeah. but in an, in a, I don't want to say in an ideal, but in a, in a situation where somebody is going to use a hemp product or a yeah. THC product, yeah. can, you, can you talk about what kind of things somebody could benefit from? Like what, what yeah, would I mean, improve their quality I, of life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, you know, I was kind of, you know, this is not to take away from the, the fact that, you know, CBD cannabidiol is a really interesting compound because, you know, I kind of talk about in the book as being a multitasking yeah. compound, basically, because um, it interacts with different systems in the body, different binds with different receptors in the body. So we know that CBD is anti-inflammatory. For yes. example, so um, it has some analgesic effect. If really you want to, if you really want to be using a cannabis-based product for pain, um, particularly neuropathic pain, you you want to be having some THC in there as well. But certainly, I know people you know who have found some benefit. You know, because we don't. And let, well, there is a little more access now to to the kind of. The whole plant including thc legally in the uk but um so certainly it's worth trying for things like you know pain um fibromyalgia all that cluster so i spoke about the endocannabinoid system yeah. at the beginning of our chat so the endocannabinoid system you know is this network it comprises a network of receptors in our brain and central nervous system and then a different class of receptors in our peripheral nervous system and immune system and our organs and stuff like that. And then we have these uh, endocannabinoids, which are these cannabis-like chemicals that bind with these receptors. And its overall effect is, it's, they call it homeostatic regulators. So essentially it's bringing balance to your body. Now, um, Ethan Russo, Dr. Ethan Russo, who, who was the one who you know, sort of came up with the entourage effect for cannabis, um, he's also coined the term clinical endocannabinoid deficiency, basically. Um, so he has studied different um, conditions 
which are generally quite hard to treat and they're, they're these kind of sometimes these sort of modern day conditions that perhaps you know seem to have kind of appeared in the last um i don't know 20 or 30 years that we didn't really speak about before that have a kind of cluster of symptoms which might include pain anxiety um so yeah certainly a kind of oversensitivity to pain basically okay. fatigue may may go alongside so you know fibromyalgia um ibs that's what i mean about gastrointestinal like what kind of gastrointestinal impact can cbd have i've, I've used it for inflammation two primary reasons i've used it for yeah. inflammation mm -hmm. and gastrointestinal yeah i mean it I don't, I don't have those conditions so i, can't I don't i don't have that i don't have the conditions i just yeah. you know well, you could, I mean, yeah research, eat some bad sushi eat some bad sushi yeah. like oh man oh no <laughs> no the research suggests and it you know as i say it, it, it may help I, I, one of the in fact one of the case studies in the book so um i i you know interviewed um some different patients who who have found success just using you know your kind of you know your over-the-counter hemp-based um, CBD oils, generally the kind of full spectrum variety. Um, and one person, Jade, actually it's a very interesting story with her. So she, oh my God, I think she, she um, at, at some point she actually had, I think she had, a, had to have her bowel removed or something, but she's had terrible, terrible, you know, gastrointestinal pain pretty much all her, all her, her um, entire life, really, her adult life. Um, and she, you know, she was, you know, prescribed so many different types of opiates and, and, you know, she had sort of jokingly kind of says, you know, I had tramadol for breakfast, might be called different things in the US, morphine for lunch and codeine for dinner. Yeah, those um, are strong narcotics. Those are strong prescription pills. Yeah, yeah, strong narcotics. Yeah. So she, she essentially had no quality of life. Um, her husband ended up being her carer um, and she basically got to the point where she wanted to end her life. You know, things were that bad. Um, her husband, it was, this was just after the, the, the Sanjay Gupta CNN documentary with, which, you know, featured Charlotte Figgy. Okay. Her husband said, you know, obviously he, he, she was trying to basically get her husband to finish her off. And he said, I really don't, I don't really want to do that. Please, you know, can, can you just watch this documentary before we have another discussion about this? So she watched it and, you know, we thought, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try CBD. Um, and she, you know, obviously it was, it was, you know, Charlotte, Charlotte Figgy was, was the focus. And so she contacted the Stanley brothers um, and, and basically tried Charlotte's web um, and for her, it worked. For her, it worked. For her, she, you know, it, I'm sure there are times where she has breakout pain and she has to, you know, hit the stronger stuff. But she basically, probably a little bit in a bit, a bit too kind of hardcore fashion, but basically weaned herself off the other opiates that she was taking um, and was pretty much managing her pain uh, using, using Charlotte's Web. Interestingly, and I think this is one of the great messages that I hear time and time again, actually, with, with um, you know, cannabis in general used medicinally. She then went on to launch her own CBD business, and she's kind of the, in, in the UK, she is the, the main um, distributor for Charlotte's Web and, and wow. other, uh, Haley's Hope and other, you know, mostly US brands, basically. Um, and um, 
yeah, so, you know, her life, you, when you consider that her life, she was at the point of wanting to end it all. And so now she's a successful businesswoman, basically. That's you know, amazing. And, that's really yeah. amazing. That's, a, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, you know, that, that's quite an extreme story. But that, that's the story, you know, we talk about, or we hear that, you know, that cannabis is a gateway drug and the gateway being generally to something terrible, um, you know, schizophrenia or, you know, harder drugs or what have you. But when used appropriately, it can be, you know, a gateway to, you know, better quality of life, better relationships with your family, getting back to work, you know, just kind of um, being able to expand. Because I think when someone is chronically ill, you know, again, I'm not talking, thankfully, I'm not talking from personal experience, but your, your life becomes very much reduced, you know, it's, 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 and, and time and time again, I mean, even with um, one of the, uh, well, it's often the case, you know, in, with, with, you know, kind of a change in, in law with, with, with cannabis, it's often a child with epilepsy that, that brings about that change, basically. So in the UK, there were two little boys who, who had, um, you know, intractable epilepsy. So epilepsy that doesn't respond to, to standard medication. And they had quite mm -hmm. rare types of epilepsy. Anyway, with both of these kids um, with different products, cannabis products, um, you know, they're, they're essentially seizure free. Um, one of their mums, a wonderful woman called Hannah Deacon, um, who's a great um, campaigner and activist here, you know, again, even as a carer, those points where with her son, you know, being out in and out of, you know, hospital every week and, and all the strain and the pressure on them as a family there was a point that you know she you know was pretty close to wanting to end her life and and she now is you know uh, uh contributing to society she's you know very much part of the cannabis industry here in the UK she has a cannabis consultancy you know she's one of the main kind of you know faces and voices in in the industry here and you know as a parent and a carer as well and so you know it's like there's just so much to gain, I think, when 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 it's used appropriately and very little to lose. So, so uh, that's pretty. The, so the friend, the case study that you just talked about in your book, yeah. she you said it's an extreme case. I definitely, yeah. Not everybody who uses cannabis or CBD is going to do that, but that's how much it impacted her yeah. life, life of her household. It's like you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that I can share this message with as many people as possible Absolutely. and make a, yeah. and, and make yeah. a yeah, you make a living out of it. And it's like, yeah. wow, that's that's a dedication. You know, that kind of dedication from a person who is in that kind of despair. It's, it's you know, I would say it's authentic. I can't, I mean, you it have is to, authentic, that's authentic. Yeah. That's exactly my point. Yeah, is I think, I think with this sort of thing, Miguel, it's like you end up, you can't, you know, once you've had that experience and you've seen what it can bring, you can't do anything else. It's like, Precisely, for, yeah. me, for example, you know, I, I say, thankfully, I, I'm, you know, I've been, was in, been in pretty good health. So I've not had a kind of road to Damascus moment with, with cannabis or CBD or anything like that. But I've seen it enough in other people to know that this is what I have to do. It's like I've got, I've literally got no choice because it's really important. It's really important. But sort of getting back to your question about other things that, you know, that, that sort of CBD and stuff can be helpful with. I mean, it, you know, things like anxiety, you know, anxiety, research into anxiety is, is possibly where there's been most preliminary human studies so there's quite promising research you know for for cbd with you know with social anxiety um you know it's something though that you have to kind of take it consistently 
And it's not, you know, it, it's a kind of, you know, it can be a subtle effect. I mean, I've certainly heard from people like, you know, they have take it once and like, oh, wow, my, anxi my anxiety just disappeared. But for most people, you know, you have to take it, gradually work out what your dose is. And it just kind of, you know, helps to get everything back in balance again. And I think that is something, a message to get across that it's, it's you know, it's helping to, yeah, to kind of take the jagged edges off and just to kind of bring everything you know, just, just, you know, back into, into balance again. Sorry. You're absolutely right. It, it's not, sometimes we get used to that, take this pill and you're going to feel better, like very quick, very instantaneous. And it's, it's, we want to, when our, when it's, when our health is having a problem, we have very, people have very little patience. I, I know that I know when I'm recovering from something, I just had a surgery about five weeks ago yesterday, actually. And uh, the pain pills they give you are hydrocodone. I had more discomfort from the gastrointestinal side effects from the hydrocodone and the anesthesia. So I stopped and took CBD to help with that. And it, it does, it, it, <laughs> I felt more, more side effect pain than I did surgical pain. That's how it should put it. I felt more side effect pain from the drugs than the actual surgical pain. And health is important for everybody. everybody nobody wants to be down on health. So when, uh, when it comes to what you're saying about um, it being a, a little bit of a process, it's a little bit of a process with any medical treatment. I think what you just said is a key for people to remember about cannabis. If you try it once, you may get some benefit, but you also need to give it a chance, you know, give it a chance because it, it does do some amazing things in the body. And I think there, I'm, I'm hoping that there's a lot more research going on in it. I'm not sure about it in the United States. I'm not read all up in the United States, or, but I had to hit on that, Mary. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, but that is because I think a lot of people who think um, traditional Western medicine, they think marijuana schedule one DEA drug in the United States, you know, and WHO has it up there with cocaine, heroin, and that association itself is the, where the stigma comes from. Right. And you said it yourself in London or in, not in London, in the UK, the, uh, the office that regulates that type of novelty food, I think it was, was a more of a law enforcement office instead of a health and human services type of, uh, department is that more accurate is more uh, well that was that was kind of for the for the regulating the growth like growing hemp oh, but, okay um, so growing yeah, yeah. distribution okay but but you know it's yeah it's um that's the whole kind of stigma um and that you know that comes from the 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 classification um you know so so for example uh, is it NIH in the US, the National Institute of Health, I think it is, who, you know, kind of funds a lot of the research. I think it's getting a bit better now, but, you know, for many years, they only funded research that was well, largely only funded research, which was proving the harms of cannabis, you know. So it's interesting, you know, the other day, uh, I can't remember what research paper it was now, but I think it, it was something to do with um, maybe like, schizophrenia one of those types of mental health uh, studies that you know looking at people who are using cannabis on long on a long-term basis and I thought I'm just going to look who you know who funded this research and it was NIH so that's not to say that you know I, I, I completely 
think that for young people um, using like high strength THC uh, recreationally, you need to be a little bit careful. And, um, you know, I think what's interesting, uh, again, mentioning Ethan Russo, he's got, you know, he's got one of these respected figures in, in, in you know, the industry, but he's, I think his latest paper is on cannabis, um, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. Yeah, so, I, um, I actually know a woman who has that. She's a friend. Right. Of, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. I'm yeah, so um, it's really interesting. I mean, for, for perhaps the listeners don't don't know that you know, there's this idea that that kind of it's, it, you've got the kind of two extremes. You've got like you know the kind of the, the 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 position from the FTA and all the rest of it that that you know that goes back sixty years, however many years it is that you know Schedule One, um, no therapeutic benefits, you know, liable for abuse, etc. And then you've got the kind of the other extreme of well, cannabis cures everything and it can no, not possibly do any harm whatsoever. Well, that, you know, there's something in the middle of that. And, and what's interesting with this hyperemesis, cannabis hyperemesis, uh, so it seems to be people who on a long-term basis have been using very, very high THC products, basically. And quite a few of them who were studied um, for this paper were kind of were classified as having cannabis misuse disorder. So whatever the classification is with that, but but it's like very bizarre symptoms that they well they've this terrible nausea, which is ironic because THC one of the approved uses is as an anti-nausea drug. But in these patients, they have terrible nausea, and I can't remember what the other symptoms are. But the only way of relieving them. Is getting in a hot bath, basically. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah, that. They get, or oh. just stopping, stopping, but they don't want to stop. Possibly <laughs> <So, like, laughs> be cannabis. No, so they get in, like getting in a hot bath seems to. And, and actually, what's interesting with with um, Ethan Ruth's paper is that there does seem to be um, some kind of genetic link. So this is not going to happen to everybody, yeah. but if you have this particular. Um, um, genetic, um, I'm not going to call it abnormality or different sort of gene type thing. I'm not a geneticist. Um, but the friend you're, more at, you're more at risk basically of this. What you just said, I mean, so that's the friend of mine who, who has that, was not a regular user of cannabis okay, at all. Interesting. Oh. I didn't try it and had that response. And, right. I was, and, and she was like, I don't know if it was something I ate earlier that night or not. And I was like, actually, it doesn't seem to make sense because it would go, they can't, that would actually help settle if something if you got food poison or something so I, so she she wasn't a heavy user that's where i brought that up because it, i think it's probably something genetic with her where her body yeah but also you have to remember like particularly with thc um it's what they call biphasic so generally at lower doses it has one effect so like thc at a lower dose can be have an anti-anxiety effect but whereas you know a high dose can actually make you feel more anxious. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a big- When, you get, when somebody gets this, they get paranoid. They had some type of like yeah. bad reaction. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I don't I don't really get on with high THC strains because yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people, even with, you know, not very much at all. Um, I, you know, it doesn't agree with me, but um, so, so yeah, so I don't know. I can't remember how we got onto hyperemesis, but- <laughs> uh, we, were, we were just talking about um, the, the, it, it, the, the culture of, of the process that, you know, it, you, you take a pill, 
we want instant gratification. Oh, yeah. I got a yeah, headache. Yeah. I'm going to take this acetaminophen bang. Yeah. And with this, it's you're actually bringing your body back into a balance. And right. that's not done which is, one, which is one why, at a time or one yeah. bill at a time or one pill at a time. It's 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 a, something that we have to be intentional about. Intentional and and also, yeah, kind of going against the the the, <laughs> the tendency that we're used to, which I mentioned before, which is you know, take take high doses. You know, it's it's this is the interesting with, with cannabis. It's you know, it's personalized medicine. Some people need very little at all to get the effect that they, they require. So why start off at a high dose when you're taking more than you actually need? So <clears throat> they talk about the start start slow, no, go slow, start, start low, go slow, yeah. way of up titrating, basically. So you start at what would seem like a kind of sub-therapeutic dose. Like, oh, that's not going to do anything at all. Maybe it doesn't, but you gradually build up until you get <clears throat> the, the desired effect that you're looking for so if, if it's anxiety you know you build up until you're like okay I'm feeling less anxious and you build up and and then you're like okay there's no change so maybe you come back down again so it's you know it's it's just it's an invitation to listen to your body I think Absolutely. Also, I think as well you know going on from what you were saying before Miguel it's like we kind of we want the answers to come from like outside of ourselves we want someone to fix us basically yeah um and maybe cannabis isn't going to fix you it might, what it might do is give you the tools to fix yourself you know so um yeah Sorry, i mean ahead, Mary. i agree go yeah on. if you're like in a high state of anxiety all the time <clears throat> it's going to be really hard to sit down and meditate or do something that that you know or if you're depressed it's probably you know you're not going to feel like getting up and going for a one run or what have you but it, it might just you know in these instances just move you out of a, a kind of paradigm or a kind of vibrational state that you know that you're that that's very difficult to do anything that's that's going to actually help you to feel better but with cannabis I think it can just you know shift you into a, a, another state where you can also do other stuff because actually you know, interestingly, with with our endocannabinoid system, okay, cannabis is is one way of of helping to support it. But there are also other things you can do. You know, there's which which are free uh, and don't involve in in you know going to the dispensary or what have you. Like singing. You know, there was this amazing <laughs> study which it took a, a group of women um, who were actually in a choir um, and it measured their endocannabinoids, their prime, prime, uh, principally um, the anantamide levels after singing, after dancing like a Zumba class or something, after riding like a static bicycle. And I think they had like as a um, control activity reading a washing machine manual or something like that <clears throat> and what they noticed was that that um their anandamide levels increase so anandamide you know when we when we run this is there's some very interesting research on running or any kind of cardiovascular um, activity um we associate that feel-good feeling as being it's coming from endorphins we talk about the endorphin yep. rush the runner's high yeah, runners high exactly. Yeah. But you can get that. You can get runners high. I love ecstatic dance. 
I get that feeling when I'm when I you know spend an hour doing that basically whatever it is that you know that brings you bliss and joy you're moving um, your body you're basically okay. moving your body a lot and you're moving your body enjoying. yeah that's yeah I think that's kind of the thing really but um so anyway so 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 yeah so so it actually what they've seen with running is actually it's it spikes in anandamide that are almost possibly more responsible because apparently you know I'm kind of repeating this from what I've read um in in journals and stuff that endorphins don't cross cross the blood-brain barrier whereas anandamide does basically um and there's some really cool studies coming out that for people who are chronically depressed um you know we know that if you're depressed doing regular exercise helps you feel better generally um and what they've seen is that you know um whether it's the cause, you know, we never know the kind of like cause and effect, but in these cases of people who, you know, in this study who are doing exercise, they feel better, their anandamide levels have also increased. So probably that is a contributing factor to them also feeling better. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, if you want to kind of look after your endocannabinoid system, which is really important because it's basically regulating every physiological system in the body, um then you know there's a whole bunch of stuff that we we can do that's not just cannabis and actually you know just as a kind of an aside things that are not helpful helpful for an endocannabinoid system is stress chronic stress not helpful um poor diet so kind of fast food that kind of stuff um too much alcohol so like a glass of a glass of wine an evening not you know that's not going to be harmful but uh but you know if you're kind of you know drinking too much then that's 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 not going to be too helpful for it so all the things that we know are not good for us are also not good for our endocannabinoid system so there's uh there's a couple things that out that you said that i just got to touch on because i think uh sometimes when when uh people are thinking about cannabis or they have a perception of cannabis and we say that oh somebody had this reaction to it and they say okay I'm feeling, you're saying yeah i feel a little less anxious or somebody saying oh, i'm getting too anxious the same thing happens with people and alcohol every single day <laughs> you see people or hear about people or hear stories about people in the news who drank too much and there's all kinds of statistics about crime and violent crime associated with alcohol so it's it's it, it i say that because it's something that people deal with already with a different with a different uh substance alcohol instead of cannabis it happens but it's a different thing it's, yeah. it's not the I mean, same it's thing much, it's not the same much more so right i mean it, you know people have been consuming cannabis i don't know hundreds of thousands if not 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 you know longer than that um so it's not like you know there are plenty of people that or are already consuming cannabis, generally they don't get into fights. Generally, domestic violence isn't as a result of, you know, someone who's taken, um, consumed too much cannabis. It certainly can be a consequence of somebody who's, you know, drunk, drunk too much beer or whiskey or what have you. So, um, you know, it, it's I, I know it, it's, 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 um, that's the most, yeah, I think if, if they were introducing alcohol now, you know, it's, this was some new thing, this new thing, uh, called alcohol it would be <laughs> it'd you know, be one drug basically exactly that's my point and, and that's where it's like this is this is not a you know it's nothing it's it's not a new concept that we're that that cannabis is asking anybody to be 
comfortable with because people see it in their family and in their homes and in neighborhoods. They drive down the block, you see bars all over the place. Mm-hmm. They're there. They're part of our society. Um, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about. And so the opioid crisis in the United States has been considered a, a, a health care issue and not a law enforcement issue. What's it look like in the UK? Is it, is it more of a healthcare issue, or is there a crisis in there? I mean, there, there's. I don't think we. I don't think we have the same level of crisis okay. as, as as you do um, uh, in the US. Um, certainly, what's uh, in the kind of medical profession? Um, doctors are now being advised not to prescribe opioids for p- patients with chronic pain, okay. for example, but they, they, we didn't have the same level of over, over-prescription and okay. overdoses um, as, as, in, as in the US. I mean, certainly, you know, if we're talking about the other side, you know, in terms of um, um, heroin addiction and that kind of stuff, yeah, that's that's, that's a crime thing in the UK, as I understand it. Same yeah. thing in the United States, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's something that you know, um, it's just, I just it kind of breaks my heart, really. I and mean, I've been reading a lot of I don't maybe familiar with Gabor Mate, who is the Canadian um, kind of trauma specialist. Um, the name is he familiar. worked a lot with um, um, addicts in Vancouver and this particular part of Vancouver where, you know, all the kind of homeless addicts yeah. live, basically. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the percentage, but a pretty high percentage of people who, who, who are on the street and have a heroin addiction have had some terrible trauma in their earlier life, you know, be it sexual abuse or whatever. Um, and yet they've, they've been, no one, they haven't been helped and they've been criminalized, you know, and, and so until there's some understanding about healing trauma um, before just shoving people in prisons, um, then, you know, this is not going to change. And that, that just, you know, it just, it really, really saddens me. I agree. I definitely concur. Mary, with that, the other half of this show is the the how we how uh, I ask guests what they if they grew up with religion or if they grew up with a belief system, and how what they believe now is impacted or motivated and inspired them to work in cannabis. So, mm. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about me. Yeah. So um, yeah, I grew up in a, a well. My mum was a Irish Catholic um, and very you know with a very strong faith. Um, now, does that mean rigorously held to the rules and regulations or what is, what is strong faith? Mean? Uh, okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like what is strong faith? Yeah. Mean? Well, for me, strong, well, strong, strong faith. I mean, I could, you know, she was some, was someone who's very prayerful. She, you know, first thing in the morning, she would be praying, you know, before she got up, um, you know, last thing at night, she'd be, praying before she went to bed or reading the bible and that kind of stuff um you know she would she was a uh, at least a weekly mass goer if not more um so it's definitely so, part of her daily life it was, it was part definitely, of her daily definitely part of her daily life for sure so it wasn't just kind of lip service for her and um you know she sadly she passed away three years ago now and and mm. 
I could see, you know, her faith in action. You know, she she could accept, you know, what was coming, unfortunately, and um, without fear, and um, and also, you know, had great support from from the church, and we had mass said in our you know our house several times, and so she was, you know, very spiritual woman, you know, in in that sense, and you know with probably once a year we'll be going off on some pilgrimage with with a parish you know to some <laughs> somewhere or other um be it Rome or Lourdes or, or what have you um so yeah my my dad on the other hand was somewhere between atheist and agnostics okay. <laughs> um although kind of grew, grew up as a church of England um did he go to church with your mom if he like did she did uh, he... no I was curious some, some people Christmas. do that Christmas he went yeah my dad was very angry against god so it's like you know and then actually it caused quite a lot of tension in in our house my mom being you know very committed to her faith and my dad being yeah. angry with god. <laughs> yeah so, no, but um, you're, you're right but they yeah <laughs> I, I mean what was that like <laughs> oh I, I you mean, know um well thing is i mean my i i you know i sort of yeah, uh, yeah, awkward, <laughs> you could say. Um, I mean, in terms of me and my, so I, I would, you know, I kind of would go with mum, in all honesty, a bit under sufferance going to mass. Um, I did the same thing too, Mary, don't worry. I, I, I went um, even though I didn't want to go when I was a kid. <laughs> so you're not alone, don't worry, don't feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I never really, so I, I was sort of going, you know, until I left home at 18, really. I, I mean, if I didn't go, I'd be in serious trouble. That that was kind of, you know, it was not worth the wrath, basically. <laughs> you know, not anything terrible wrath, but. I know yeah. what you mean, though. You know, no kid wants to be in trouble. No kid's going to be like, I'll choose trouble. And like, overtly, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So they're going to say, yeah, I'll do that. And then they'll go get into trouble because I got three little guys right now. And it is, it's pretty cool. But yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. And I, I get what you're saying. When I was a kid, I, I was like, oh man, I got to go to church again. You got to be kidding me. It's not something most kids want to go to. And now if kids want to go there, that's great. That's fun. But when I was going, it was not, it was, it was uh, just not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I think to be honest, I think um, if, I, I think it's a bit like kind of like playing a musical instrument. I, I learned the piano when I was a kid and for whatever reason, I never got beyond the point of never really enjoying practicing in between my lessons. And so there was always a bit of a bind. And, and so I never got to the point of really loving playing the piano. It was, you know, it was always something I kind of did because I had to do it or whatever. Um, and I think probably the same, maybe it's the same with, with you know, growing up as a kid, going to church. Unless, and I think that probably has to come from a really good priest, unless there's a really, really amazing priest who kind of connects with young people in a way or delivers the homily. I don't know if you call it homily in the US, but you know. They do, they, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of technical terms for a lot of, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, the technical terms baffle me, but you're right. Homily is one of them, one of the messages. Yeah, that's when you kind of, you know, the homily is when you are, it's Christian, it's a Christian show, but you know, when you kind of, I don't know, yeah, it's kind of talk about what's just been in the readings or the gospel, what have you. And um, and if it's just really dry, you know, everything's dry. How, how on earth are you supposed to like get, what's the you know, kid next? 
that's what blows me away about some churches like how does how you got to work to make scripture dry i mean you really i think and for me i think you got to really work to make it dry i think it, it's it's pretty amazing okay so now so you, you you're growing <laughs> up in england and yeah. uh, your mother's irish catholic mm-hmm. and uh going yeah. to church because you don't want to get into trouble i understand completely yeah. Well, so and so as soon as I went to university, I just stopped going, to be honest, Miguel. And, okay. and, uh, and wait, wait, you said university at uni- when you were in yeah. university. You started. I went to university and I left home. All right. So I went to I went to university in a different part of the country, and then so I didn't I could do what I wanted. <laughs> I just I just stopped reading, and so then I became a lapsed Catholic, um, and 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 to be honest, just didn't really think about spirituality or or anything like that really I was sort of going through my 20s and having fun partying that kind of stuff um, you, you weren't alone you're not alone <laughs> yeah um so I don't know I mean I, I suppose like not I didn't really notice the void of the nothingness at that point um but as I've got older I suppose there has been a kind of a searching for something that that brings meaning basically um i have to be honest i i don't connect with the scriptures you know when when my mum was ill i was going you know and before that i'd get you know i would when i was back from i was living at spain while well, in spain for 10 years like I, I mentioned and would um you know come back for the summer and i'd go to church with her just didn't you know it's interesting i guess if you're a believer it's 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 some you know you it, it, I, I understand it. I understand it. I have not always been a Christian my whole life, too. I, I, you, you, your story where you're saying you're going to church as a child, and when you, when you're old enough to leave the house, when you're done with your public, your, your school education, you're on down to university, then you are now an adult, and you're making your choice whether or not you're going to go to church or not. I did the same thing, Mary. I went out and partied and had a good time. I partied too much. I had to take a year off from education. And, uh, <laughs> And re really, you know, re rack my head and, and what I believed because I was going through the same thing about what is this life about? You mm. know, you finish your, edu- your, your, your K through 12 education and now you're like, okay, now it's time to become an adult because you've hit that number 18 and numbers of years that you've been alive. And you're trying to figure out your calling. And, and throughout, I don't know about you, but like we would periodically, at school, they'd have these things where you'd take these little quizzes and exams and, and they'd tell you what type of work you're going to, you'd be best at and, and good at for the rest of your life. And I was just like, no, none of those things really settled with me. So yeah, I could, I think a lot of people are doing that. A lot of people are looking for meaning and purpose. So what do you think about it now? Yeah. Um, what do I think about it now? I'm one of those people who's kind of I'm doing a, a, a inverted commas little sign now. And yeah. they call me quote unquote. Um, quote unquote, uh, spiritual. So, so I think uh, what, I, what I kind of observed in myself was, you know, when I, after university, I, again, I sort of partied a lot, um, but was working in, in quite a kind of superficial world of, of television, basically. Um, and living in London, there's a lot of kind of consumerism, a lot of filling, and I think everyone, you know, everyone, a lot of people are filling this void um, that comes from being generally in a kind of secular society uh, with stuff that doesn't make them happy or bring meaning, basically. So I was kind of, you know, going through that phase um, and, you know, during that 
phase, I think partly con this phase probably contributed to that. I would say started getting quite a lot of anxiety and um, uh, and I think a kind of existential angst in a way, you know, because it's like, what is all this about? You know, yeah. it's um, and you're bumping up against it daily, right? I mean, yeah, bumping up against it daily. Yeah. So, um, so for me, the kind of, you know, I, I then I started doing, you know, I guess my change was because of the anxiety, I started doing, I did a mindfulness course, basically, um, back in the UK, and started doing meditation. And, and, and then when I was living in Spain, I was, I was always quite interested in Buddhism, basically, but it would just seem there's so it's so broad, basically, I, I didn't really know where to start. Um, so, in in Seville in Spain where I was living um I um was part of a kind of what they call a sangha so it's um like a kind of um a, a, like a spiritual family in a way so we were um, following the, the teachings of a, of a zen uh, monk called Thich Nhat Hanh who is um he's uh well he's I think he's over 90 now um and sadly he had a he had a, a stroke about six years ago, so he's, he can't sort of do his teachings anymore. But there's a, a you know very active community of um, people who are living a kind of mindfulness-based life. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, well, he's, he he, I guess he describes his kind of Buddhism as um, committed Buddhism. So you have this sort of you know the kind of Buddhist philosophy, but uh, also you're trying to you're not just sitting on your meditation couch and and or, um, cushion and, and meditating it's also trying to um, do as little harm to any beings in your in your in your daily life inclu including the planet basically so it's um, so for me I suppose uh, my work with cannabis kind of sits within that really um, because right. it's there is quite a strong, I, I do have quite a strong ethical point of view, which is why when I might this, you know, what I work in rubs up against kind of big business um, yeah. and, and people who are motivated by money rather than, you know, the, the, the well-being of us and, and also the planet, because, you know, that's something that I, you know, I, I, I see time and time again that, you know, whether we're Christian or, you know, whatever of you know our beliefs that we think somehow we're separate from the planet we're separate from animals you know we're separate from minerals we're here just to kind of you know do what we want and and kind of rape and pillage all the kind of resources around us and there's no consequence um and that's one of the things that i uh, for me, I connect with, with with Buddhism is that you know there's this interconnectedness of of everything. Basically, you know, it, um, Thich Nhat Hanh in particular talks about kind of interbeing. Basically, you know, none, nothing, nobody, nothing exists in isolation. It's always a, a coming together of different, um, you know, kind of um, different parts that then when they come together, we manifest. The earth manifests. Our health manifests. So for me. It, this really helps with me understand my own health. So, you know, if, if something, I don't know, um, a health, health condition manifests, um, like, for example, I don't know, I sometimes I get headaches, you know, and, and my headaches are often related to, you know, have, I don't know, sort of stress and tension, not sleeping enough. And it's a coming together of constituent parts, which when they all come together, a, head, a headache manifests but if they're not all those constituent parts don't all come together then I haven't got a headache yep. so you can do, yeah this this idea of this interbeing of things 
you can you literally you it's, it's applied to everything i only exist today there'll be a point where my my interbeing of things are no longer together and mary will no longer exist as we know mary as she's sitting here today talking to you miguel so um so yeah so that's kind of i i guess i'm also I'm very interested uh, in other types of plant medicines, which also have a kind of spiritual aspect to them. So um, the, um, the kind of the, the psychedelic variety. So I'm, you know, I, and I think they can be a, a kind of conduit to actually connecting with, with God, be it the God inside you or the God, wherever God is, you know, um, you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're what you understand to be God. Um, so yeah, you're kind of your ayahuasca and, and um, psilocybin and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, that that's kind of, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm one of those people who, you know, <laughs> you probably can't shove me in a box, but um, it, yeah, I, I certainly, I'm, I'm not void of, 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 of some kind of spiritual aspect in my life. It's just not one that I go to a church to very often. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I think, uh, yeah, I definitely understand. Now, the reason why you, of course, you know, why I was going to ask you that because that's what we do on this program, but oh, yeah. and also by the way you're speaking, I can, I get the inclination that you attribute intrinsic value to all people. Yeah. There's value in all people. And that is something that that's, that's pretty big. Not everybody does that. <laughs> And everybody who says that they do, do does that. So it's I get I could pick up on that just by hearing you from the beginning all the way through now. So yeah, she values people and she wants to help people. And that's important. You know, that that is important. It, you've you've written a book about it, about the CBD, the CBD book. And it is, it's good. It's good. It's really good, Perry. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I, I, you know, the book is really just, it's there as a roadmap, because it is, if someone is interested in CBD, it's really confusing. You know, there are so many companies all saying that they sell the best CBD in the world, or what have you, there's so many different products. Um, and, you know, so you can easily kind of end up with something that's not really, you know, a bit substandard, or, or I don't know, it's not, not up to scratch. And so really, it's just, the idea is someone, through reading this book, they will at least end up by the end of it having the best chance of having the best experience from from whatever cbd product they end up buying so that's 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 that kind of thing but yeah i mean it's for me and i think this is something that's sort of come from my mum actually i can't bear injustice i can't bear on injustice and i and i am someone that takes action and that that's how this all came about because um my friend's mum um was dying of pancreatic cancer and um yeah, and she, you know, she, the morphine didn't agree with her, actually, it wasn't helping with the pain. And she, you know, she was kind of messing with her head and all the rest of it. And, um, and in, in her, her family, with a very forward thinking doctor managed to get a, a prescription for, for a cannabis oil, and, and, and it just allowed her to die with dignity. And that is something that for me, you know, obviously, we're, we're very focused in this world on life, you know, but actually, how we pass into whatever you believe is and comes after this earthly existent for me it's it should be the best way possible if we can have a good death you know I think that's that's we, everything should be done to, to to make that happen so in the case of, of my when you say a good death what, 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 yeah. what comes to mind when you think when you're saying a good death uh well I I can you know I think of my mum's example um 
one not being in pain i think if you're you know if you spend the last um moments weeks of your life racked with pain that that's pretty that's pretty horrendous yeah um, that would that would be horrible yeah definitely that would be yes. horrible um but also having to you know come to some kind of peace within yourself um and also having you know your loved ones feeling loved and and feeling you know having the presence of your loved ones around you um and sure. you so know relation yeah. fam relationships family and yeah, friends yeah. and, and yeah. love yeah. basically the love, the love between you and others yeah that's what i'm picking up on that's what i'm picking is am i am i close <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah love between um, others yeah so so you know what with, with this uh with this instance of my friend's mum I couldn't, I just, when she, when my friend told me all about it, you know, and how she mum died with dignity and, you know, everything. And I was just so incensed, Miguel, that this was something that the majority of people in this world do not have legal access to. I just was like, I was, it was kind of an anger, um, but I promised in that moment that I was going to do something about it. Um, and this is where maybe, you know, the kind of the spiritual thing also lines up because um, everything just, yeah, it was like the stars aligned basically. I promised to my friends that, that right, I was going to do something about it. At the time I was writing, I'd just written something to CNN about, um, about ayahuasca. And um, two weeks later in Seville, there was a hemp fair uh, I spoke to a couple of CBD companies because that's that's you know there were only two of them at this hemp fair. One of them offered me a job. Like you know, two weeks after promising to my friend that yeah. I was going to think about this, I was working within the CBD industry. You know, and it, and everything just so for me, that was an example of uh, if when you line up some kind of intention that's really heartfelt and comes from some kind of like any like pure goodness um then everything just seems to kind of you know come together and happen so and that was that for me was a real learning experience of of what actually the potential that we have as humans you know to you know to make amazing things happen and everything i don't know the universe or whatever just sort of rearranged itself and 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 that that, that was um but you know coming it was coming from a point of you know, how I feel about injustice. I, I, yeah. No, that's part, Mary, I, it, it, all, all that, all that lines up and makes sense to me. It really does. It mm -hmm. really, really does. I think that's really cool. And meaningful and, meaningful. Right. and, and that's, and I think what you're, what, what a lot of people are looking for is something fulfilling, something that's going to give I, I meaning, think, purpose, uh, destiny. Absolutely. And I think it's something that you feel in your heart. So um, um, this was something I wasn't really so aware of until I started doing kind of yoga and meditation and stuff like that. We were all generally, you know, we are locked in our heads, basically. And I, I, maybe this isn't, you know, what happens when you're in prayer, I don't know, or you're having some kind of um, connection with God or what have you, but you move out of your headspace into your heart space. And I think when you're doing whatever is right and meaningful, you're not there, there thinking in your head, oh, this is meaningful, this is great. The logic side of things isn't, isn't there, there's, you got you feel, it, like you feel it in your heart, exactly, you can feel right? it. 
you know, um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's something that's interesting to observe that it's a kind of, it's an indication and like, oh yeah, this is, this is the right thing. I'm doing the right thing here. It's amazing when, when abilities and rec, uh, you could call it a revelation, whatever you would want to call it, revelation of, of purpose and meaning line up with action and vocation, especially when it's like what you're doing like with your career, like with your life, that's when those things line up. I, I, I'm, I always try to cheer people on when they're doing that because it's amazing. When you see somebody who's like got a gift in some area and you see them working in that area and you see them impacting people more positive and no, nobody's perfect. Everybody's, you know, but more positive than negative. Right. And it's like, wow, that is that person's walking in their gifts and abilities and they're helping people in the process. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool, Mary. And Thank that's what I picked that. up from you. Mary. That's exactly <laughs> what I pick up from you. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, Mary, um, thank you very much for your time. All the way from the Isle of Wight in the United Kingdom. Is there anything else you'd like to tell anybody? Uh, I don't think so. I think I probably rabbited on about most things. No, it was good. It was all so. good, Mary. I enjoyed it. I think, I think sometimes we don't realize how close we are to people and these stories help us remind us of that and uh, thank you very much for sharing thank thank you for inviting me on it's been lovely absolutely thank you maybe we'll do it again in the future mary maybe after i know a book or something i don't know we'll see All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. Our special guest is Miss Mary Biles from the Isle of Wight, United Kingdom, author of the CBD book, The Essential Book for CBD Oil. The Essential Guide to CBD Oil, excuse me, the CBD book. You can find it online anywhere. Thank you all very much for listening. We love you all. We'll see you next time.